Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 17 of the Fit Farming Food Mom. I am your host Connie and I am a certified personal trainer and online health and wellness coach that offers online and in-person programs. I also have a huge love for bodybuilding. I spend a lot of time researching trends and information in the health and fitness space because I want to be as well informed as possible. So That being said, I have been listening to today's guest for about a year, and I put her in high regard for her knowledge in women's hormonal health and wellness, especially when it comes to hormone manipulation within sport and medicine. Today, I have on the show Victoria Felker. She is an interdisciplinary researcher and instructor. She works across the fields of kinesiology, medicine, critical studies, and the humanities. She studies health, hormones, and the body and is currently pursuing a doctorate. For the past decade, she has also been a practitioner, a consultant, an author, and an educator within the world of strength and fitness. So over the years, she has worked with a wide range of individuals and organizations, including top-level athletes, special populations, health professionals, and strength coaches. She has lectured at events worldwide, and her specialties include athlete-centered coaching methods and functional health and performance enhancement education. So today I have the opportunity to talk to Victoria about hormonal birth control, performance-enhancing drugs, and hormones, and I can't be more thrilled to have her on the show today. We started out the episode a little bit rough because we were having some technical difficulties, but thank goodness her boyfriend swooped in and saved the day and got us all going with a great podcast. So I look forward to sharing with you Victoria Felkar. All right. Well, Victoria, I'm so excited to have you on here. Even though we had some technical difficulties, I think we're on our way to the right direction. So um, I'm happy to have you on here today because um, I'm a bodybuilding athlete um, and I am in a world full of performance enhancing drugs. uh, And I think a lot of people tend to jump to that situation before they have actually refined other aspects of their diet, training, hormones, health in general. So also, I think a lot of people are misled by coaches and fellow competitors, and they dive into these things without understanding the full ramifications of their actions. So I'm hoping today we can kind of start with hormones. And I know you talk a lot about birth control and how that also affects things. And maybe we can get a better understanding of how we can optimize our health and our hormones and our sleep and everything before jumping into using performance enhancing drugs. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, I mean, there's a lot, (laughs) I know (laughs) there's a, there's a a lot there that we can go into and different things and different aspects to touch on. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you just want to hop on, hop on in with a, like an exact question, or if you want me just to speak to a general kind of topic um, area well, along that line. Grab a general topic. I okay. know a lot of I know a lot of females. Um, definitely, mm-hmm. they're like they're on birth control when they go into prep, and they see yeah. a lot of trouble just from that in general. So mm-hmm. maybe we can start with that. Yeah. So. So yeah, man hormonal contraceptives. So I think that's one of the first distinctions I always like to make is that when we talk about like the big nebulous of birth control, it means a lot of different things. Um, there are 
non-hormonal contraceptives that you use for essentially um, inhibiting or protecting against um, conceiving. Also for like control of STDs and things like that. So that's like your condoms, your diaphragms. Um, and then we have the hormonal contraceptives. Now, the thing that I think over time, things get a little bit blurry because people are on hormonal contraceptive agents for non-contraceptive reasons. So right. from anywhere from like, I mean, their diet, they're called a lifestyle drug now because and actually they've been called that almost from the get-go. And it's because they're used for things like convenience sake. They're used for things, um, cosmetic purposes, such as acne, um, things such as, uh, I always do big air quotes here, but treatment of reproductive disorders, because we know that they actually don't do treatments, they mask symptoms. Um, so there are many different reasons why somebody would be on a hormonal contraceptive agent. And when we think about that kind of that family of, of products, there's also things there. So we've got our hormonal contraceptive pills, and there's lots of different types of those. We have uh, hormonal intrauterine devices or IUDs. There are pills, there are pellets, there are patches, there are shots. Um, so there are a, a ton of different types of hormonal contraceptive agents that can be used for a wide variety of different purposes. Now, in the athletic kind of domain or world, um, outside of bodybuilding, if we look at just sports, I can tell you what the research suggests is that large percentage of the female sporting population are on some type of hormonal contraceptive agent for non-contraceptive purposes. Um, among the reasons that are stated are things such as um, the ability to manipulate menstruation, the ability to control the duration and length of flow, convenience sake. So things that really don't even have to relate to health um, kind of reason. Sometimes people will go on it, say for heavy periods, um, or for other types of kind of reproductive disorders. But so really they're going on it for more convenience sake. So that's one of the things I always like to touch on first, just to kind of clear the air is that there, there's these compounds that individuals can take. They are steroids. Um, they are definitely steroids. They typically speaking contain an estrogen and a progesterone, a progesterone is um, we can't call it a, like a progesterone, which would be the, the natural hormone that we have in our bodies because it's molecularly too dissimilar to that. Um, and so typically speaking, there's an estrogen and a progesterone and that they can be used for multiple different purposes that are even for non-contraceptive reasons. Now, as a woman, as a strong feminist, I am all pro-choice. So in my opinion, as a coach or, um, or as a health professional, um, we really can't go like, hey, you should go off the pill because mm, that's pro-choice. Um, right. So I, I do like to kind of get that, though, I think out there first and saying that there are many reasons why somebody has gone on one of those agents. And it's really important to know that before you start diving into um, looking at sometimes even the ramifications or the um, performance kind of impact that that might have. Um, because if somebody's going on it for reproductive control purposes, meaning that they don't want to conceive, um, I don't feel like, I feel like my responsibility as a researcher, as an educator, as a practitioner is to tell them that, hey, that's totally cool, go you, but there are some potential unintended effects that that can have on the body um, that don't get talked a lot about in uh, just 
I mean, just don't get really talked a lot about period, I'd say in medicine, but I mean, it's well beyond medicine, um, as well as there are other agents if they are looking to control, I mean, fertility sake. So I know that was a bit of a ramble, but it is like almost, I guess, a little bit of a caveat that I think right now you're getting a lot of kind of Instagram charlatans talking about birth controls and things like that. And they just don't have the full story down. And that's really frustrating for me as a, as a researcher. Um, right. So, yeah. So I, I don't know if you want me to keep going um, because, yeah. So uh, I, I mean, you gave me a soapbox. I can stand up here all day yeah. if you want. <laughs> I'm good. My biggest thing with it is I'm not for or against mm-hmm. birth control in any way, but I think a lot of people, it's just become a general thing for anybody mm-hmm. to be on it. You walk in the doctor's mm-hmm. office and they are like, Oh, are you on birth control? Yeah. Oh, you know? And so oh, yeah. there are so many people on it. And then if mm-hmm. they're not going on it for contraceptive purposes, mm-hmm. the doctor's like, oh, but it could control your cycle. You won't be on yeah. your period. Yeah. You know, yeah. you won't have acne. So yeah. I feel like it's being sold. I mean, obviously it's being marketed because yeah. it's just uh, uh, for financial, you know, for financial yeah. stuff and for yeah. not for the patient's benefit. And no, most people do not know ramifications it has on their body. Uh, absolutely. And and so that's something that when you look, so when you look back in time, I, I mean, the pill, the, the birth control pill, so a, a pill containing both an estrogen and a progesterone is a relatively new phenomenon. So they only came to market in the early 1960s. Um, and since then, they have been gone through many different kind of shifts and turns in terms of dosing and actual compound type and all these other things. Um, and that there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery around them. Like my PhD is on this. So I can say that there's a lot of mystery around them, even in medicine. Um, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of, um, I mean, legal lawsuits. There's been a lot of recalls. There's been a lot of side effects. Um, and I don't really like that word. It's unintended kind of consequences of use because we know if you take high doses of estrogen, it's going to have implications for somebody's metabolic, um, function. So, the way that I look at the pill and I mean, you bring up some really great points about the fact that women are going on these and they don't always know. And that is really scary. I mean, it's, it's really important to be a conscious user of no matter what it is, if it's a diet, if it's a supplement, if it's a drug that we need to be conscious, we need to be aware of the potential uh, implications, whether those are positive or negative on our health and our well being. And when it comes to the birth control pill, um, I think there's a lot of myths around it, such as, um, women perceive that when they bleed, that that's a menstrual cycle, and it's not. It's a breakthrough bleed, and it happens because, um, typically speaking, the body um, no longer is being fed the same synthetic hormones that it does for, say, the first three weeks of a pill pack. And so um, it's often called like the placebo pack um, or the sugar pill pack. Uh, so that that is just simply the body going through this withdrawal because you're not feeding it hormones anymore. Um, and so right, right away there, that's a huge misconception. I mean, I work with, worked with countless women over the years and practitioners and even people in medicine, which is the scariest thing that call that a period. And I'm like, no, 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 no. For women to have a, a menstrual cycle involves, uh, you know, cascading of hormones. It involves ovulation, which maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but ovulation is so critical to women's health. And that the whole goal of a contraceptive pill is to be able to inhibit ovulation. And so 
by not ovulating, we really can't call this a menstrual cycle. Um, the pill doesn't regulate women's periods. That would mean that the woman would continue to have periods, but she's not because she's having a fake bleed. And this is just withdrawal. Um, the pill essentially it is, it's designed to disrupt the endocrine system. And I know that I'm saying the pill, I'm using that almost as like a, an basic way to say hormonal contraceptives, um, because the, the Depo-Provera shot disrupts the endocrine system. The patch disrupts the endocrine system. The hormonal IUD disrupts the endocrine system, even though people try to say that it doesn't. I can tell you, if you're putting hormones in your body at high dose, guess what? It is going to disrupt the endocrine system, um, especially with something that's happening at a very localized area, such as an intrauterine device. Um, and so that means by disrupting the endocrine system, that our endocrine system regulates our hormonal systems in our body. And so that's not just our reproductive hormones, that's other hormones as well. Uh, we also know that that impact has other impacts on different systems in the body. We know that the body has to metabolize the hormones as well as the, if it's a pill, the pill. So there's effects on the liver um, that we also, I mean, I can go through the list, but when we think about hormonal contraceptives, they actually have impact on our energy systems, on our um, cognition, so memory and concentration, on motor coordination, uh, adrenaline levels, uh, pain threshold, vitamin retention, blood glucose levels, thyroid function, um, adrenal function, because you're shutting down your hypothalamus pituitary ovarian access. And that then the, our other access we, has, we have is our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access. And so that adrenal access can take more load when we're shutting down our HPO. Um, it can affect sleep patterns. It can affect body temperature. Um, I mean, skin and just skin oil production. Uh, metabolism, uh, the actual metabolic rates, they've done research on that. Uh, oxidative stress, cellular health or mitochondrial health, the immune system. So there are many different, I guess, aspects of the human body and human functioning that research has shown that the pill does affect. Now, it's going to have different implications for different users um, because there's also some genetic components in here. Also, the pre-existing health state. So why did somebody go on that pill in, in the first place? So did they go on it because, say, they had um, maybe a very heavy, hard, long period um, or did they go on it because they wanted to, you know, practice um, safer sex? So that's all going to also impact how that body responds. Um, not only that is different pills, there's different strengths and different um, actual types of hormones being used. So when we think about a progesterone, um, there are two main categories. There's either uh, a progesterone um, that's been derived from actual progesterone or a progesterone that's been derived from an uh, androgen. And so those have different effects on the body. Uh, and, and of course, there's always going to be these individual variants in here too. Um, some women can take a, say, a progesterone that's been derived from an androgen and not have any androgenic effects, such as, say, facial hair growth. But another individual can take that same pill and have androgenic effects. Um, and again, that's based off of so many different internal innate, um, I call them inner predispositions that that person has. Um, but I mean, that just gives you some idea of some of the different things that can happen when we are taking uh, the birth control pill or a hormonal contraceptive that don't always get talked about. I see. So 
my, I guess I'm going to kind of jump in there with a mm. the thought and I'm hoping mm-hmm. that you can chime in on this because a lot of women, um, when they go on the pill, one of the things they'll say is, well, I am super grumpy or bitchy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so my doctor said, if I go on the pill, that it will make me less agitated. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously there is something that, that I, that is stemming from probably mm-hmm. if a female is feeling agitated and then mm-hmm. you're just covering it up by throwing yeah. a bunch of hormones at them. Yeah, exactly. So, and, and that's the same as, uh, if somebody say goes on it for heavy or hard bleeding or for long cycles. So I, I always use the analogy of a light switch. So when we go on the pill, we're simply just shutting off that light. When we go off the pill, that light's going to come back on eventually. Maybe it's going to come on a dimmer switch eventually, or, or maybe it's going to, you know, be a little bit dimmer, but it could also be a hell of a lot brighter and also not turn off. We don't know, but we're simply just shutting an axis down for a little bit without getting to the bottom of what is actually going on. Now, if somebody has, um, so I, I hate the term PMS, um, because it is not, it is a cluster of symptoms, but if somebody's having say mood, um, disruptions, such as, uh, depression or anxiety, it's really important to know that the pill is also been shown to induce depression and anxiety, that that's actually really, really high ratings um, on a bunch of the different types of um, kind of bigger data studies that have been done on the pill and more recently. Um, And that something like a mood disturbance is it can be so multifaceted that when we think about something, say um, an individual gets really kind of down and out in the second half or the luteal phase of their cycle. Well, that could signal that there's something else going on. Um, That's when estrogen drops and progesterone is high, unless that person doesn't actually ovulate. Um, I mean, there can be non-ovulatory cycles and ovulatory, and that's a really important thing to get to the bottom of. Um, That is that, um, say, that mood disturbance. Is that related to potentially some sleep disturbances? Because sometimes that when somebody has um, a menstrual cycle that uh, either there could be an imbalance in the estrogen or the progesterone levels that sleep disturbances can happen. Or maybe is that because you're not going to the bathroom? I mean, I can't tell you how many individuals I've worked with over the years that they get really constipated in the last week before their, their menses. And that as a result, I mean, if you've got poop in your body and your body's going, Hey, I need to get this out. You're going to have more anxiety. Uh, if you are, say, holding more water, water retention issues, you're probably also going to be a little bit more anxiety, anxious and a bit more agitated because of that. So there's lots of different kind of, they're almost like tertiary things happening as a result of um, the hormonal fluctuations. And that it's, I don't want to say it's not normal to have mood disturbances. Uh, I think the way that I look at this is that there, there might be in some individuals some mood disturbances that happen, but should they affect your life to the point that like it's having a negative impact? No. And if that's the case, we need to find out why before we just throw synthetic hormones at it. Yes. Amen to that. And I mean, I, I not to segue off here mm-hmm. uh, this, but um, a guy in the gym and I were just talking about this today, um, particularly in males, but I'm sure it happens with females as well, where food is a big, big factor in your hormones and your hormone regulation. Mm -hmm. And you see, it's like almost like a perfect storm because if I understand it correctly, you have these men that are eating, I mean, women too, obviously, but I'm just using his example Mm -hmm. that are eating all fast food and things that are terrible Mm -hmm. for you. 
and then they become overweight. But then mm -hmm. at the same time, they've got that extra fat. So they're now producing yeah. more estrogen. Yeah. That correct. Yeah. So for women, it's a little bit different. So because our bodies, but I mean, we're, we've got some similarities. We've got some, some, uh, some major differences too, but there's inflammation is a killer. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a killer. And I don't think we talk about inflammation enough where the conversations are very shallow about it. And so I kind of feel like I'm going to go into this a little bit. I know I just said I don't like when people go shallow about it, but I could spend <laughs> an entire like course talking about inflammation. So inflammation happens when we eat like an asshole. Um, that's my nicest way I can say this. But when we eat fast food, when we eat, you know, even unbalanced levels of um, omegas that can induce inflammation. Some people that are eating foods that, um, and they have say some type of already pre-existing inflammatory, either predisposition or, um, something else going on, like a, a, an actual food allergy, um, or that they've got say, um, let's say they're, they're on a certain other type of drug. I mean, there's so many different reasons why somebody might have inflammation underlying. Um, but food is going to contribute to that. So if we're eating, food that is not the greatest for our body, that's already creating inflammation. Um, when we have our menstrual cycle, so here's a little little fun kind of segue back to menses for just a second, but when we, we have our menstrual cycle cramps, so cramping is um, been associated with high levels of something called a prostaglandin. Now, those prostaglandins are free fatty acid that gets released, and it's um, through an inflammatory process. So when we have cramping, guess what the result typically is? A heavier period. The prostaglandin works with estrogen. And so there's this really interesting kind of pathway that goes on there. And so if we can actually reduce our cramping, we can reduce our heavy periods. Easiest way to do that is through taking an anti-inflammatory. I mean, in the short term, in the long term, though, it really is doing a lifestyle overhaul, eating foods that are lower in inflammatory properties, uh, kind of embracing the low inflammatory lifestyle, focusing on recovery, focusing on sleep, um, even taking certain things like, I mean, the research on um, GLA or gamma lionic acid is incredible for prostaglandins. And that's something that is, um, so cramping, heavy, either heavy cramping or heavy flow is something that often gets treated with an oral contraceptive. Um, and we can actually work completely around that um, through reducing inflammation. The acronym that I use, it's HELP. So often the menstrual disturbances that I see in individuals um, relate to high estrogen and low progesterone. So estrogen and progesterone, they are like yin and yang. And so when women don't have an ovulatory cycle, so ovulation is how we create most of the progesterone in our body. So if we don't have an ovulatory cycle, then we're not creating most of our progesterone. Well, because estrogen and progesterone are like yin and yang, estrogen's going to go up and progesterone's going to stay down. And where this happens is in a state of inflammation. So if we can work on inflammation, we can actually help to get our estrogen and our progesterone back in sync. Now, some reasons why somebody might not ovulate, the number one thing is stress. Stress of all types, whether that's eating too much or eating too little whether that's having high body composition, um, body fat levels are having low, whether that is through sleeping too much or sleeping too little, whether that's having, you know, negative social relationships or a, um, a you know, external factors such as say you're a student and you're in exams. 
or you're going through a divorce. I mean, if you're not ovulating in those periods of time, um, I always say that it's not uncommon for women to not ovulate every now and again, or if it's kind of, they can look at the context and be like, Hey, I'm in my last two months of prep. I'm not ovulating. And I'm like, yep, but that's kind of normal. I'm going to expect that. But do I want this long-term? Absolutely not. Um, No. And that's, that's another thing is you see so many girls that are new to bodybuilding. I see it in mm -hmm. the forums all the time. They're like, I can't wait to lose my period. How yeah. long did it take you? Oh and God. they don't actually realize oh. how terrible that is for you. Yeah. It's so yeah. bad. I mean, yeah. just a little background on me. I was training and competing really hard mm-hmm. for a solid three years. And I didn't have my period for almost a solid three years. And when I yeah. got it back, I was it was like freaking going through puberty again. Yeah. I was a mess. A oh, absolutely. Mess. Absolutely. And I think what people forget is then, and this is so common as I see women that they don't have any type of menses, um, so that's the the blood itself. And then they go through like spring cleaning of sorts, <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, my beard is so heavy!" And I'm like, "Yeah, what do you expect? That's that's what's going to happen, um, unfortunately." Or, I mean, the other big thing too is that not enough women have, I mean, regular gynecological checkups, and so if they're not going, say, for a Pap smear and getting at least a basic cell count done when they're not having menses that's going to open them up for so many potential dangerous scenarios. I mean, thickened endometrium to increase the cervical cells. That's really scary. That is really, mm-hmm. really scary. And I, and I always laugh. I mean, I was thinking about today's podcast actually, and I was thinking about some stuff that I've read online lately. And I think, I mean, maybe this is going to go off on a little tangent, but I'm going to come back around. I promise. Okay. I think when, I think when women, and I see this and I can see this because I'm a, I'm a woman, I've been in the industry for, I mean, 15 years, I've been on all sides. I have been an individual that was, you know, training for physique competitions. I've been in powerlifting. I have been anorexic. I have been overweight. I have, I've, I mean, I gained 30 pounds in three weeks when my, my own hormones crashed on me. Um, I, have I, I so I've been, I've been I'm, I, I can walk the walk I think because I could talk the talk but I think when you get involved in fitness you kind of lose touch with reality and certain variables that are relevant to the general population suddenly don't pertain to you so women going like oh yeah I don't have a period but that's okay because I'm in fitness or um, I'm eating hypocalorie but that's okay because I'm prepping Okay. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, there's absolutely context here, but that's not what's getting done right now. I think with the rhetoric, it's, it's this very much like you're almost in denial that somehow these basic physiological principles don't pertain to you. And you use that as justification for some really unhealthy behaviors. Amen. I, I am so happy you say that because I try to make that very clear in my podcast um, all the time because people walk up to me and they're like, wow, mm-hmm. you look amazing or whatever. And Oh, you're, mm-hmm. but you're doing this. And I'm always like, yeah, but I, I'm mm-hmm. doing this for competition purposes in, mm-hmm. in outside life for general mm-hmm. health and weight mm-hmm. life loss. Mm-hmm. Is absolutely not okay. Not yeah. okay at all. And they're yeah. like, well, why do you do it? And it's like, well, sometimes I ask myself this as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but I love it. And so mm-hmm. I continue to do it. But you know, this year I've obviously, decided to become more healthy and I mm-hmm. am no longer crash dieting. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have my shit together essentially, if I, I think, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, um, I try to make that very clear to the outside world because people have social media influencers mm-hmm. and everything else. 
telling them it's okay for these things to happen and it's okay yeah. to eat a thousand calories and it's okay to, yeah. to do hours of cardio and it's not. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I see it that like, I, I mean, I'm very much, I, I, we're all special, but <laughs> I mean, my, my blunt inner bitch comes out and says like, no, actually you're, I mean, if somebody comes up to me and says like, yeah, you know, I've been eating a thousand calories and I've been doing six days a week training. I'm training twice a day. I haven't had my period in, in over a year. I'm taking X, Y, and Z as performance enhancing. I've been on birth control. Um, but I have, I have androgenic acne. Can you help me? And I'm going like, uh, no, wh- wh- where do I even start there? Because you want me to fix one specific tiny little thing, but unfortunately there's a whole bunch of shit happening and it's not okay. I mean, I, I guess I'm, I, maybe I'm taking a stand as I'm, as I'm growing older, I'm getting wiser and going, I'm taking a stand for the bullshit right now that I'm seeing. Me too. Maybe a little yeah. bit more aggressively because you know, there medicine I don't agree with all conventional medicine. I think if people have listened to me before, they know that I am a bit of a dark horse. I also recognize the major issues with the current state of women's health and uh, reproductive medicine. I also, though, see the bullshit that gets touted in the fitness industry, um, even from individuals that might have backgrounds in exercise science or exercise physiology, but they really don't have a place at the table when we're talking about women's reproductive health. And let's say... um, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea. And mm-hmm. because the research on that is so little that it does not actually have like an, in the research, as a researcher, there's not actually conclusive evidence to support any one action for an, a female athlete. Now, what I can tell you is that when we look and we theorize and we do some more of a, um, a you know, a grounded research assessment that's utilizing like rigorous mythology and everything else that we can start to build some theories, but those are still just theories. But I mean, and I'm saying that that's what I do um, when I get into certain situations that there's not a lot of research now, but what I'm seeing is that people are taking ideas or philosophies that they have and selling them as research and misleading women. And it is so scary. It is so, so scary. And that goes the same when we're talking about the use of say performance enhancing drugs as well. I mean, my other world, I've got that world of birth control that I, I and women's reproductive health, but then also anabolic androgenic steroid use and other types of performance enhancing agents. And so I'm seeing, I'm seeing this, just the shit show wild west happening. And it is really, really scary. Well, especially because, I mean, if you get right down to brass tacks, mm-hmm. a lot of things, a lot of performance enhancing drugs with females, mm-hmm. with female athletes is a lot of it's only ever been tested on males um or the bros not, trying I mean, to give people their yeah. their, uh, their advice you know well not even i think uh, and i mean again i'm up on my soapbox but we need to start realizing that people are in the industry there there are some really good people don't get me wrong i have some amazing colleagues that i trust even with my own health and with my own knowledge that i go to them to learn now I will say this, there's a lot more bad eggs than there are good eggs right now. And that we got to remember we're in an industry that is, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a money monopoly. There is a, there is an undertone that you are paying somebody for advice and that they might not always give you the advice that you should be getting because it's a monetary exchange. It, they are trying to take your money. Um, it is terrifying that, I mean, I, I just, it, it sickens me to my stomach and 
with women and, and androgen use, it's you're utilizing a coach that doesn't really know what they're talking about. Um, right. And I can say that because none of us are experts on anabolic androgenic steroids. None of us, male, female alike, the amount of research, the clinical research that has been done on it just simply does not exist. It doesn't. And that's coming from somebody who, I mean, I've spent a lot of my academic career investigating this, um, I mean, deeply. And I know a lot of people that are kind of in that upper enchilada of, I guess you would call them, you know, the expertise, but we all could admit that none of us really know that much that we are, we are looking to different types of research. We are looking to different types of case studies, but in order to make these broad blanket statements, you just can't do that. And so I think the world of, of anabolic androgenics overall is really scary. The research on women is really, really small. It is, there are certain types of, um, I guess, research we can, we can look to. So for example, women and testosterone replacement in post-menopause. So when they're in that menopausal period, so post-perimenopause, um, there has been some research done on that. So we can look to those studies, but that's not utilizing black market drugs. That's not utilizing um, the compounds that a lot of women are taking for performance enhancing sake. And we're talking about athletes that are maybe still in their reproductive prime that aren't post um, or post perimenopause or are in, in the menopause span of their reproductive lifespan. So yeah, we can, we can draw certain ideas from them, but we can't take that as gospel. Um, and I'm, I mean, that's me stretching and saying that somebody's actually doing some research, which doesn't happen all that often. <laughs> yeah. So, yes. Um, so when speaking about these things, though, mm -hmm. is, I mean, from being in the industry, uh, I have seen, uh, I've seen some crazy things. Most mm -hmm. everyone's always starts with just a little bit. And then mm -hmm. that just seems to cascade into using more and more and yeah. more. Yeah, and then absolutely. next thing you know, you're bringing in other things yep. to help burn off fat. And next, yeah. and it just seems like a downward spiral mm -hmm. of throwing things at your body and yeah. your body just doesn't know what the hell to do with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess, I mean, the great place to start here is saying that we can look at the effects of drugs on their own. I mean, that say this person takes this drug and, you know, we can study that. But then we also have to remember that people in our industry, they're taking drugs when they're also usually in a state or trying to achieve a state of performance, peak performance, whether that's preparing for a powerlifting meet or going on stage for a bodybuilding um, show. So we not only are putting a stress on our bodies from taking that drug, but then we're also inducing a stress from the whatever we're doing to prepare for something. Um, and so the body can only handle so much. <laughs> and yeah. we're not even talking about individuals who might already have, say for women, reproductive health issues. They might not even know if they ovulate or not, or when the last time they ovulated was. Um, they might already have, say, um, high levels of, of androgens because of some genetic or pre-inner disposition. Um, we don't, we don't know. And I can't, I, it's really difficult for me to not stand on my soapbox and say generalization, but cause I'm just, I can't do it. So what I can say is this, is that hormones, steroids, androgens, they are 
not all fun and games. I'm not opposed to the use of steroids. I'm not pro. I am education. So maybe I can, if you want, I can just peel back later and go on in because. Sure. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's. I don't think we need to censor anything here. The reason that I'm here today is because I want to people to be informed before they jump into things that they're not really informed of and that probably their local coach that's just grabbing dollar bills from them is not going to tell them when they hand them their prescription for Mm -hmm. Anivar or Tren Mm -hmm. or Primo Mm -hmm. (laughs) or here, have some Clen because Mm -hmm. now, you you know, so basically um, I want people to be able to, have an, be able to make an educated decision yeah. with what they're going to do, um, whatever sport it may be, or maybe even it's just lifestyle. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people out there on Instagram now that are, they're not yeah, utilizing bodybuilding. Yeah. But they're just using it to mm-hmm. stay looking a certain way. So, yeah. um, I, I don't think we need to censor the fact okay. that I want people to be able to make an informed decision, yeah. um, before they dive into the pool basically yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah so absolutely so i think okay so i always go and i break down to the lowest common denominator so why are people going on these in the first place so often people go on a uh let's just i mean there's lots of different types of, of peds that are utilized in the bodybuilding fitness sphere so from androgens to anti-estrogens to stimulants to thyroid to growth hormones to peptides I mean, in our androgen group, we can talk about anabolic androgenic steroids, or we can talk about SARMs or selective androgen receptor modulators. So there are, I mean, those are just my, my basic subheadings, I guess, of sorts. But if we look at androgens specifically, so anabolic androgenic steroids, um, why would somebody go on one of those? Well, this is where the, this is where it all starts to crumble. So I mean, somebody, um, I mean, I'll never forget, I mean, I'll never forget the day that I went on Google and it was these advertisements for women. I typed in women and steroids because I was like, I just want to see what comes up first. And it was, it's like touting up for, for fat loss or, you know, get the, get the booty you always wanted. I'm going like, well, no, that doesn't actually work that way. It's a lot more complicated than that. We might think it's going to say elicit a lean muscle mass, but there's a lot of things happening internally. At the same time, we might also be getting that as a um, as an effect, but that's only one of many different things that are going on inside our bodies, and not everybody's actually going to get that from use um, because it's a lot more complicated than that. So, with um, with androgens, though, the the major things that I see in our industry right now for for women specifically is the idea that um, certain drugs are healthier or safer. So Anavar or Oxandrolone is safer. Um, well, I can say this is that number one, we don't know because the research just is not there. Um, number two, it depends on the user. Um, it always comes down to that user. So we can look at all those pre-existing factors that might be there that are going to change how your body actually responds to this drug, and that that's how it responds both in a, a you know the intended results. So hey, getting jacked or the unintended hair growth, virilization, deepening of voice, um, reproductive dysfunction, mood disorders, depression, insomnia, um, I mean, hepatic, I mean, just hepatic mess and your liver just gets put put to shit if you're taking orals. Um, And then we also have to look at the fact that we're getting these drugs in the black market. So you don't always know what you're getting. You might think you know, but you don't really always know what you're getting. Um, I mean, it's not, and, and um, Anavar is one of the most 
faked, like counterfeited, bastardized. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, but it often is not what it is supposed to be. Um, it's there's usually other, there's uh, there's exactly it? there's other stuff in there or or Winstrol or um uh yeah there there's other stuff in there it's impure there we go that was the word I was looking for um and so that's also going to change how somebody responds to it I mean if you're an individual and you think that you're taking this drug that at a low dose that's going to potentially have very little side effects um and it doesn't it's like well there's lots of different reasons for that and then also for people that that um i mean ugh, crap connie there's just so much stuff when it comes to gear use right now with women it is it, it's just terrifying because so inflammation we talked about that so in women when there are high levels of androgen so when we talk about a hyperandrogenic state and that's what you're inducing when you're taking an androgen you're inducing a hyperandrogenic state that hyperandrogenic state it is working hand in hand with insulin resistance. So hyperinsulinemia are high, um, like hyper, so that hyperinsulinemic state or that insulin resistant state, it works directly with high levels of androgens. Um, often in our, I mean, there's many different sites in the body um, with androgen receptors that women have, but fat cells is one of those places. Um, the ways that that inflammatory kind of axis works also works with our estrogen. So estrogen goes up, our androgens are already high. It shoots and it helps our insulin now go up. And then we are going into issues with our hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. So it actually negatively affects our adrenals. And then we also have to think about our thyroid. Thyroid gets negatively affected when estrogen is unopposed and high. Um, or also in states of synthetic estrogen. So we're really just, we're scrambling our bodies up when we're taking these things. Um, mm -hmm. And then we're trying to fight, you know, this, the insulin resistance. So, hey, let's now add in some, either some glucose disposal agents, or let's add in some, some metformin or some, uh, I mean, crap, even I've seen women using insulin. Um, and then now let's add in some anti-estrogen. So they just start fighting fire with fire. Um, which can get really scary because you don't know what's going to happen afterwards. I think women, when they come to me, they want me to have this magic wand or this x-ray that I can see inside them and I can tell them what the outcome's going to be. And unfortunately, none of us know. Male, female alike, none of us know. Um, I can tell you, though, that having a hyperinsulinic state is not uncommon for individuals that utilize androgens at a super physiological dose. Um, I can also tell you that things like oxidative stress is not uncommon. Nutrient deficiencies is not uncommon. Um, I mean, impaired gut health, like, so I am the, the microbiota. I'm not a microbiome expert, but I can say that there is some ramifications of uh, having high levels of androgens on our guts. Um, not ovulating is going to have an impact for us. So the impacts are are there. They are in plain sight. But this almost goes back to like that what I said at the closer to the beginning about this kind of like denial yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of oh, it's not gonna happen to me. And and that's where I go, like, but what makes you that special flower that you're not, you know, you're taking yeah, you're taking in, uh, let's say, Primabol and injectable, you're taking Anavar, you're taking in antiestrogen, you're taking clenbuterol, you're taking um T3 and you're so special. You don't have side effects. That's what everybody or, says though. That's the craziest part of yeah. it all is I have some very close friends and I'm not 
I'm not, I mean, I don't, I don't care what their choices are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do to an extent because if they, if something was to happen to them, I would feel guilty that I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think you're going a little overboard, but I Mm -hmm. usually am pretty good about saying my piece about that. Mm -hmm. But I have friends where, like I said, it starts with one little thing becomes another, Mm -hmm. becomes another, becomes Mm -hmm. another. And they're like, Oh, well that won't happen to me because I have Mm -hmm. a, Great PCT set in place no, or no. that happened to me because I have a coach that knows what they're doing and they and everything is proctored and blah 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 or or I know the site I'm getting it from. There's just mm-hmm. so many excuses and I and that's mm-hmm. exactly what I hear is it won't happen to me. Yeah, yeah. Or and I also see it too though. It won't happen to me and then it does after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 because some of these, some of the things that can happen don't happen necessarily immediately, or maybe you're prepping and there's some other stuff happening. I mean, nothing happens in isolation. Um, and so, and as a, as a woman, I can, I mean, as a woman's researcher, as a woman, as I mean, our bodies are incredible. We have just such an incredible physiological system in our bodies. Um, the fact that we can create a human being is what makes us fucking amazing. It makes us truly incredible. And that's what sets us apart from men. They can't make humans in their bodies. Um, so that alone should tell you that your body is not something that you should turn into a scientific experiment without full understanding of what is happening internally. Um, and also I think that's also my caveat for saying too, though, that we still don't know a lot. I mean, as let's just talk about androgen receptors. So when you take a, an androgen, it's got to bind to something. It's got to bind to the androgen receptor. We are still figuring out where all of those receptors are in the body. And, and for women, it's even more of kind of this gray area. I mean, they, they've just recently realized that um, the endometrium has androgen receptors. That's, that has implications if you're flooding your body with high levels of androgens. Mm-hmm. We, do, we don't know potentially what that is, but the theories are that that could alter somebody's ability for long-term um, gynecological and reproductive health. It could potentially put somebody maybe predisposed to certain types of gynecological um, cancers or abnormalities. These are just theories because we don't have the research there. But that's a risk that I'm not sure people would take if they knew that. Um, I mean, hair growth, for example, uh, androgenic hair growth and cystic acne, they're like BFFs. They work together. Um, That can get, say, they're, they're, I mean, there's chemical and there's different types of more topical things that you can do to help with that. But once it's there, it's there. You've turned it on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, mm-hmm. another, another question I have for you while I'm thinking about it mm-hmm. is um, you talked about people being in contest prep and mm-hmm. doing this. Um, mm-hmm. So when you get to a lean state, your body's hormonal composition is already changing. Yeah. Um, it, like your thyroid, all your mm-hmm. regular hormones, everything is changing. Mm-hmm. And then you're throwing all of these on top yeah. of it all. Yeah. So. Yeah, that makes, yeah, absolutely. And I can, I, I would even go as far to say that most of us already kind of have fucked up hormonal states to begin with. Um, I mean, it's something that is a phenomenon in Western, kind of this contemporary Western world that we're in right now because of things like stress, dietary yep. stress, um, the chemicals around us that the, there is an epidemic of women's reproductive disturbances. 
an mm-hmm. absolute epidemic and it, it is screaming so loud right now. And there is just not enough discussion about it. But I mean, even if I were to, um, I could go into some of the population health data that's done that's on how many women have in a large, large, large population studies have said like, Hey, I don't ovulate or, Hey, I don't have a regular menstrual cycle or I am heavy, having heavy bleeding. I'm having cramping. Uh, I have, you know, a diagnosis of a hyperandrogen or as people say PCOS, but I hate that term because it's not the right term. Uh, it's a cluster of symptoms. So if they have high androgens or, Hey, I, um, I, you know, don't, I don't, I've got cystic acne and nothing's working or whatever it might be. So there's just this reproductive health disturbance happening within women right now. And so that is one layer that I, I mean, if you want, so I guess my, my takeaway for people is that if you're going to dapple with something, build a foundation first. And I dapple by that, that could be prepping for an event that could be, you know, um, wanting to, to, uh, I don't know, do a powerlifting meet. That could be utilizing a certain type of compound, whatever it might be, build your foundation first, because the foundation often isn't there. And that foundation is what's going to keep you safer, safer potentially in the long run. I, I mean, I can't wipe that magic wand. I don't have that x-ray, so I can't say for certain, but if you have a, a foundation of good digestion, I mean, you have regular bowel movements that are of a normal color, normal consistency, and they're regular. If you are able to actually digest your food, um, if you are sleeping and sleeping regularly, and if you are having for women an ovulatory cycle, um, if your liver is already, I mean, you have not, don't have elevated liver enzymes or your, your, um, yeah, I mean, even your vitamin status, like you're not super B deficient or your iron is not super up high through the roof. Like get your body in a healthy physiological state and maintain that for a bit. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to play or to, you know, pursue. But the thing is that the body, when the there is physiological function, we often begin to look the way that we desire the everyday kind of like fit body is not unattainable when the body is functioning internally mm-hmm. in a good state. Now going that extra beyond to say a competition physique, that's not normal um, body compositions for men or women. And so we might need to push the gas pedal a little bit harder. And so we are going to go into an unhealthy quote state to be able to get there. But if our foundation is there, it's a lot easier than to go back to that. And that's not for, and I can't say that generalizing, that's not for everybody, but in my professional experience over the last, you know, 10 years of doing this type of work, I can say that when that foundation is there, it's a lot easier to come back home. Whereas if you're already kind of, you know, in the negatives, it's going to, you are going to be fighting that tooth and nail and you're probably utilizing a lot more different things to get yourself where you want to be. And it's going to be a lot harder to get yourself out of that mess. Um, and that's the same with, I mean, utilizing certain types of compounds too. I, I think the the biggest thing that I try to get through to people when I when I speak at events or I work with people individually is that build the build your foundation, manage it for a bit, and then you can go. You I mean, you can supercharge, but then go back home, and don't be there for too long. It's kind yeah. of like going. It's kind of like going out on curfew. You got your curfew. You can go. You can 
you know, as a kid, I remember it's like, you're five minutes late, you're, you're okay, you're not going to get in shit. You're 20 minutes late, mm, if you're an hour, yeah, you are grounded for life. Yeah. Well, and like you're saying about the optimal health, um, you're going to see results all around if you start optimizing your health in other places. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for myself, going into my last contest prep, I was not already mm-hmm. healthy. I was yeah. already in too much of a deficit. And I decided to go for it anyways. And that came along with some big ramifications because it was very, very difficult to get where I needed to be. And then afterwards coming out of it was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I was in too much of an unhealthy state for too long and Mm -hmm. it basically took a very long time to get that back on track. So, um, absolutely. And I think like another thing is I'm touching more on the physiology of it, but there's also, I mean, you can't disassociate the brain from the body. I mean, the body and the brain are all one entity. It's you. Um, and so I think though, what I wanted to say is that the, the, there's something to be said about being in a healthy, um, mind state as well, because Mm -hmm. if you are looking to say, do a contest for you to be able to like your body, it's not going to work that way. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Or if you, if you already have, say, um, a disordered eating um, and you're going to go into a very restrictive um, dietary regime, it the that's scary. If that's you're just, already it's in really scary. relationship, you're just jumping into another exactly. relationship. Disfun- and- dysfunction meets dysfunction. And it's, yep. uh, I mean, I looked at it a couple of, gosh, more than a couple of years ago now, I guess it's like four, but um, I remember looking at the kind of the, the, the pipe the prep cycle is what I called it. And it's like somebody is unhealthy and unhappy with their body. So they start a prep thinking that they're going to get happy and healthy. They, you know, it starts out okay, but then the, you know, the grind comes and they go all in and then they actually are really unhealthy and body image is unhealthy. And then they compete and then they crash afterwards and then they're unhealthy and they're unhappy. And then they, you know, go back into another prep. And it's the cycle that, that I looked at it and it was like, I'm like, this is the, has so many of the hallmark features of an abusive relationship cycle. And if Mm -hmm. you look at that abusive relationship of going in and out. So I do, I do put a big emphasis. Like when people ask me what my say tenants of good health or my, my things that people should do if they're trying to say, get healthy from a reproductive standpoint or from either being on or have used or want to use say certain types of steroidal agents, whether that's contraceptives or androgens, it's, you know, sleeping is really important for our health. Having a regular circadian sleep cycle is very important, but so is having positive social relationships. So is having worthiness. So feeling worthy. We now know that that has a profound effect, a sense of community and belonging, fun, play. Yeah. These are things that are not talked about in our world because we are so focused on that, that the body, I mean, it's bodybuilding, um, but that have a profound effect on somebody's health and, and has some profound effect on like long-term success, mindfulness, breathing, breathing is such a basic physiological function that we can't live without. We truly cannot live without breath. You know, and I started, I started, sorry to interrupt you. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I started doing something. I can't remember what, what I was listening to you speak somewhere and you were talking about how you journal 
all sorts of things. Your uh, your basal body temperature in the morning mm-hmm. and your bowel movements and all this stuff. And I was like, that's freaking genius so that you can track if you're ovulating or not, you know, um, yeah. or when it's going to come. You can kind of tell what's going to happen based on your temperature and mm-hmm. your energy and your bowel movements. And so I started um, bringing that into my life and I was like blown away by the information I was able to gather from it. Yeah. I mean, it's something that like I recommend, I guess, if I think about action steps for what a female listening could do or a coach that say working with women, it's we are data. We are a walking data points. There's data all around us and that things like tracking your menstrual cycle and not just tracking whether or not you have flow, tracking whether or not you ovulate, tracking whether or not, you know, you've got breast soreness or headaches or heavier periods, cramping. Tracking that on a day-to-day is really, really, it's invaluable because not only are we going to be able to start to learn whether or not we're ovulating because the, I mean, your basal body temperature does go up when progesterone is produced. And if you're doing that, that temperature correctly, you'll be able to track this. Um, and I mean, that alone, it's so invaluable, but, um, you're going to be able to create your own data. And then that data is going to be able to allow you to see, you know, um, if you're not sleeping properly, then you check in with yourself and you go like, Hey, I just noted that noticed that last month I had like seven sleep disturbances. Let's see if this happens again. And if it does, I got to figure out what's going on here. Is it maybe cause I'm not winding down early enough? Is it because maybe I'm on my phone too late or am mm-hmm. I, am I, um, is there something else physiological potentially happening? Cause I'm seeing a say, Hey, I'm seeing this in the second half of my, my menstrual cycle after I ovulate. Like, I need to look into that a little bit more and seek expertise. Don't use Dr. Google, please. Um, Tracking digestion. I mean, having a regular bowel movement is so critical. Not only critical for just, I mean, our health and well-being, but also if we're thinking just, if we're talking about just hormones, it is so important to be able to clear estrogen out of our body. Um, And so having regular bowel movements, super, super important. Um, making sure that we are, I mean, I even have, when I work with high performance athletes, um, or elite athletes at any level, I'm also getting them to, you know, track their, their, their training, where their energy's at. I get them to track a whole bunch of different metrics. Cause then that for me as a researcher, it's, it's data. Now, when we think about research, research gives us theories. It gives us, uh, potential types of methods that then as a researcher, I can apply to data. I can look at the data that, you know, a st- say a study that was done um, on, let's say, uh, oral contraceptives and uh, strength athletes and looking at if whether or not it affected their strength. Well, that's looking at a very specific population. It's looking at a bunch of, say, 15 individuals. I don't know what those 15 individuals are like. I don't know how their training is. I don't know how long they've been training for. Um, the pill differences are usually a plenty, so they don't even have individuals on the same type of pill. Um, so there's just so many different variables that I can't, I can't assume that I can apply that now to whomever I'm working with. So, but what I can do is I can take their methods, I can take some of their theories, and then I can build my own data sets with whomever I'm working with or, you know, speaking to. Um, and that's one thing I, I am trying to get across to people is that use yourself as data. Don't become obsessed with it. But use yourself to learn and learn your body first. As a, as a health practitioner and as somebody that researches women's health, it amazes me when I ask a, a woman if she's had, you know, discharge or cervical fluid and she has no 
fucking clue. <laughs> I'm like, do not look in your underwear. Like, <laughs> I know it's awkward to, to say that, but like my, I, my mom was a godsend. I mean, she was a nurse practitioner and she taught me at a very young, I can actually remember this. I've never talked about this on, on a podcast before. I can remember being like 11 years old and having cervical fluid because that's what happens and your body's going through puberty and running downstairs and being like, oh my God, mom, I think I'm dying. Like, what is this? And <laughs> her being like, okay, like, let's talk about this. And, and I need you to start, you know, I, she got me like a calendar and I just started writing down when it happened. That was at 11 because... Mm-hmm. It is so important. Cervical fluid is one of the signs whether or not you ovulate it, but you also will have different type of discharge if you have higher levels of estrogen, if you have lower levels of estrogen, where your stress is. Also, for people um, training, sometimes it will increase. I mean, it could also be signs of something even like um, a BV or ba- a bacterial vaginosis, um, vaginitis, pardon me, or uh, a yeast infection. Um, so, yeah, there are different things that like we need to be paying attention to. Like discharge, I mean, boob sensitivity, nipple sensitivity, boob pain, um, even just acne. I mean, cyclical acne. A lot of women will come to me and they'd be like, I have really, really awful acne. And then I'm like, hey, I see you on FaceTime. Your face is great. Oh, yeah, it's great for the first three weeks. I'm like, okay, so now this is telling me that you have hormonal acne that is in sync with your period. You're getting it more in the after you've, you've ovulated androgenic. Uh, that androgens are higher in the luteal phase. So, okay, we've got something going on here with androgens. Now I've got something to work with. So Mm -hmm. even knowing that is so invaluable because it's going to change how you can now address it. Mm -hmm. Now I have a question for you Mm -hmm. um, that just kind of sprung up here, but I was actually listening to a podcast a while back where the woman was actually scheduling her training around her cycle because Mm. she could get better benefits, I guess, at mm-hmm. certain points. And then also when she was actually, um, you know, starting her period, she thought it was good because you're already under stress to, to back your training off a little bit. How do you feel mm-hmm. about something like that? So I've just spent the last three days of my life in archives. Um, <laughs> so Sounds that, no, yeah, it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I literally looking at women's health and physical activity, physical education, exercise, athletes. Um, so that whole idea actually came from when they th- thought that women shouldn't be allowed to do any type of physical activity. And then it was like, no, women can engage in physical activity. They just can't do it around their menstrual cycle at all, period, zero. And it was the idea that the ligaments in our uterus were not strong enough to support a engorged uterus and ovaries and we might actually you know pop a pop an ovary out if we jump too high um and they also believed that women had it was called the menstrual disability or also the uh, i mean the, the it was essentially the internally wounded woman that we had something that actually made us deficient during our menstrual cycle that was based off of nothing but old wives' tales, and then science adopted it, exercise science adopted it, and it still remains embedded today. So what I tell people is that they, we cannot actually determine from a research standpoint whether or not somebody should train for or in line with their menstrual cycle. Not only that, women have different menstrual cycle changes in terms of energy 
even something like substrate metabolism. So that is, there is no conclusive evidence to support saying that all women do this, all women do that. It just does not exist. So my building your own data can help you to determine when your energy is high and low, but what happens when say you're typically had for the last three months, low energy in your luteal phase. And now all of a sudden this month, your energy is really, really high. You got to listen. You got to respond. We are dynamic individuals. Our menstrual cycle changes from month to month based on numerous variables. So I really believe we need to listen to our bodies. But menstrual is only one of many variables that we should be tracking. It is not a limiting factor at all. It is only as much of a limiting factor if we allow ourselves um, to have that as one. But as I look at the research, I can tell you that the the myths and misconceptions about women's reproductive health in sport and physical activity are disgusting that they still exist today, but they do. And I see it as my job to speak to them um, because, I, I, I mean, as a rigorous researcher, it's, you go back and you start to find out where people are or why people are citing certain things and you follow that breadcrumb trail and it goes back to things about wandering wombs. <laughs> It's, okay. It sounds crazy, but it does. And that is so scary. I mean, even I, I've been doing some work on like actual competition. And in the 70s, even today, there is a belief that you should not compete if it corresponds with the first day of menstruation. Hmm. That that is dangerous for the athlete's health. Huh. That is based on ideas around body temperature swimming and the fact that they thought if women even got their feet wet when they had menses, that that constriction of blood would cause them to essentially internalize menstruation and not actually get out this vital fluid. Well, I do feel better now about this, that I still go in and tap out hardcore workouts even when it's that time of the month. Yeah. I mean, if your body if, if your body is, is, is like, a, so here's one of the great examples that I, um, I gave, I was lecturing to a group of, um, like 200 strength coaches, male strength coaches for the most part. And I said to them, I'm like, it, it depends on the individual, because if you say have an athlete that might have, you know, a heavy flow or she might have, uh, let's just say cramping. Um, it might not be the most comfortable thing to do a heavy squat, like a squat test, on the day that you have cramping, because it's just not comfortable. Not only that, it, it when you have cramping, it's really hard to actually utilize pelvic floor and your core properly. So it might not actually be the best thing, but that's for that one individual. We can't apply that to the population. Now, you might have another individual that they feel kind of crummy in the three days leading up to their menses, but then once menses hit, they feel great. Why mm-hmm. would you restrict them? Right. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that I'm glad that I was able to actually ask that question to you because I was like, hmm, I wonder if there's truth to that. Because it's, you know, it's funny how you listen to things and then you always have them mm-hmm. kind of filed in the back of your mind. And so I know that sometimes when I'm training, I'll be like, man, should I really be pushing it this hard when I, you know, when it's that time of the month or, you know, and yeah. So it's a good thing to clear up. Yeah, well, and that kind of goes back to my point about like research and like, you know, learning yourself being your own, like building your own data is that like, I mean, you can have all different studies saying to do one thing, but if for you, it just is, you know, you've, 
you're an experienced athlete, you've trained, you know your body, you've checked other metrics as well. It's not just kind of going off of, um, of uh, you know, hearsay. I guess this is not the greatest example, but I'm going to keep going with it. Um, that if, if, it, if it is right for you and it is an educated um, action, then go for it. But it goes back to if it's an educated action. If you know that it's not going to have any damning implications, if you know that, like, hey, I've been sleeping regularly, um, you know, I'm not getting any pain, I've got, um, there are no contraindications saying I should not be doing this right now. Okay. Um, well, so we kind of got away from our topic, of <laughs> course, but that's all right, because you got to talk about things and you're thinking about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but back to the um, performance-enhancing drugs, we'll kind of mm-hmm. go back here. Um, so I know we talked about a lot of people saying, well, that, that you're special, it's not going to happen mm-hmm. to me, things like that. Um, so for, for some people younger that haven't had any children or anything, it could definitely mm-hmm. be a concern. But what about your older population where they're like, well, I'm not having any kids anymore, so it doesn't matter? Yeah. Well, I think going back to ovulation for a second here. So let's just use a micro example. So when women ovulate, they create progesterone. Progesterone has a ton of very important health effects for the for an individual, from sleep to um, metabolism to, I mean, bone health. Bone health is always my example because it's, it's basic. So estrogen helps to create bones. Progesterone helps to preserve bones. If women don't ovulate, they're not creating most of their progesterone, so there's going to be an implication there for their bone health, Okay. Now, if somebody is taking a drug that is going to not allow them to ovulate, therefore not create progesterone, that can have potential implications for long-term bone health. If somebody has had a hysterectomy and no longer actually has that reproductive axis in their body and they are not doing some type of hormonal replacement, that is a world that just simply has not been explored with phys- super physiological androgen dosing. I mean, yes, androgens have been used in cases of post um, perimenopause or, or uh, menopausal women for osteoporosis. However, those women are also um, utilizing other agents and they are a very specific cohort that cannot be applied to the general kind of female PED user. So I think that even if you're done having kids, ovulating is still really, really important. Um, It is really important for our reproductive life cycle to still keep tracking, even if we're, say, not interested in in having kids, um, to be able to know where we're at. Um, Women, a lot of times that I work with that are going through uh, perimetopause, I have to give them the, the bad news and saying that the more you fuck with your hormones earlier in life, Often, the more rocky perimetopause is going to be, the mood swings, the hot flashes, the heavy flow, because, well, perimetopause is kind of this slowing or this kind of shutting down the end of your reproductive life cycle. It's not supposed to be a death sentence. And there Mm -hmm. are non-hormonal ways to work with that. Now, if you're experiencing that and then you're throwing a bunch of androgens in the equation and anti-estrogens, we don't know the effects of that long-term. Okay. Um, so, you know, back to the whole, so coming, obviously when you come mm-hmm. off of these things too, whether you yeah. use a 
Uh, I mean, some people are like, oh, I got great PCT. I'll be fine. Some people Mm -hmm. just quit cold turkey. Either way, what Mm -hmm. are some things you could expect to see happen? I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, you don't have your x-ray machine and you're not looking at everybody. I understand that. But but some people think that once they are done, they're done and things are just going to go back to the way that they were when they started. I mean, it's almost like um, uh, endocrine flexibility. I don't know if flexibility is the wrong word. Agility. There we go. That's what I was looking for. So how agile is your body to go back to where you once were? Um, I mean, it's going to depend on so many, so many different variables. Uh, I think there's, I mean, PCT, that's maybe another talk for another day because there's a lot of misconceptions around women's PCT. Um, So some of the things that an individual might have not expected they might think that once they're done taking an androgen, that their androgen levels are just going to go down. Full stop. That's it. But that isn't always the case. Um, our bodies are a lot smarter than that. If you've been feeding them something, they might not actually let it go. Um, estrogen is another thing too, because estrogen and androgens are related. Um, and so, you know, you say take in some, an anti-estrogen as well, and that you think that all of a sudden you're, you know, you're fine. Well, Estrogen, there's about, you know, three different types of it in our body. Uh, There's different axes. There's different places that it's stored. And so, um, it, yeah, I mean, it crap, it's a lot. It's, it's just, it's really, really complicated. Um, I've worked with a lot of women that assume that they're, say, if they were losing hair while taking an androgen, that suddenly that hair loss is going to go away. And six months, nine months later, it hasn't. And it's because you've just turned on a certain pathway when you were in a high androgenic state and it's primed and ready to go. So, no, I mean, it's not some of these things that, you know, that the unintended effects don't just go away. The hair growth doesn't just often go away. The cystic acne often doesn't just go away. Um, You've got to be able to try to restore some of the unintended effects. So the inflammatory pathways that you've turned on the insulin resistance that you've maybe induced, mm-hmm. the non-ovulatory cycles, the, mm-hmm. the, the maldigestion. You've got to try to also work with this to be able to restore the body. So that's kind of what I meant about go- having that foundation in place. Um, that in, in, you know, you go off a drug, you're not just going to go back to that foundation with a hop skip. And, you know, a month later, like, hey, I'm ovulating. It's like... Uh, yeah, no, not always and not regularly. And I can say I've worked with a lot of cases and more often than not, it takes a lot of intentional actions to be able to get somebody back to baseline in particular when they didn't really have a baseline to begin with. Right. Well, and then you see, like you said before, it's a big soup of stuff when people start adding a whole bunch of things, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll they'll increase their androgens and all of that. And next thing you know, they're turning around and they're throwing estrogen blockers at themselves. Yeah, and yeah. Or, or or I mean, or thyroid is a big one. I think so. I think thyroid is one of the most under uh, misunderstood uh, glands in our body. There's just there's such a lack of misunderstanding, or there's such a lack of knowledge that's created a misunderstanding about it, and that manipulating it without understanding it is so scary (laughs) and Mm -hmm. that you know it is it literally is making our body tick it is it it is our it's our throttle it is our body's throttle 
And so if you are just, you know, frivolously dosing stuff and you don't really understand what's going on, that has, just like, you know, I talked about with birth control or I talked about with androgens, there's implications for your body systemically. And same with the thyroid, there are implications systemically for your body. And I've seen several cases over the years of, of women that have been on incredibly high doses of T3 that have shut down their, um, their thyroid to the point that they're, they, when they start, you know, actually bodies trying to get, get healthy again, um, their thyroid just stops responding altogether. So not only are they having this kind of super physiological levels of T3 at one point, they take that away, they still feel good for a couple months. And then all of a sudden it's like, KO, um, I gained a bunch of weight. I feel like crap. What do I do? And I'm going like, we got, we got some investigation to do because that is, that is a sign that your thyroid is, um, I mean, if they're, I'm, I'm talking like a hundred micrograms plus of T3 dosing, which is so high that is not used in medicine very often, if ever. Um, but they're, they're utilizing that type of dose. And then all of a sudden their TSH level. So your, um, thyroid stimulating hormone, um, it gets, it gets stimulated from your pituitary gland. And so that signal can get disrupted the conversion from T4 to T3 can get disrupted. The actual binding can get disrupted. So you not only are having an issue with the gland itself, but the signals that are being sent to the gland and then how the thyroids are actually binding. Um, there's so many different kind of abnormalities or pathologies or dysfunctions that can happen um, that you're, you know, a regular GP might not even understand because the thyroid is really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. And then people don't understand that, you know, even, you know, outside of like bodybuilding, regular, uh, diets that they're going on, they're like starving themselves at a thousand calories. There's even ramifications with your thyroid with that. Absolutely. So it's kind of a big, I mean, I find that it's a big deal, especially in people that have been crash dieting and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. I, I'm, at the end of the day, it's, I guess it's, it's really complicated. Like the body is really, really complicated. Um, and we're in a world that is not regulated. We're in a world that is like the wild west. And that if one thing that I can try to get across to people through doing the show with you is that to recognize how complicated it is to recognize the lack of expertise that exists and just the lack of general knowledge. I can, you know, I can say expertise, but the lack of actual knowledge, um, in the, in the actual research world and in medicine about a lot of the things that are being done and, and people are doing to their bodies. Um, and that it is, there are safer ways to prep. There are safer ways to utilize, say, an oral contraceptive agent. There are safer ways to utilize an androgen, but it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of intention and it takes a lot of actions that often do not get the attention or, um, the, not only just the attention, the attention, and I would even say the under, uh, I don't want to say understanding, but publicity of sorts that they deserve, you know, uh, the industry mm-hmm. is not teaching people like, Hey, you need to have positive social relationships to help with fat loss, or, Hey, you need to have sleep to be able to help with fat loss, or, um, you need to stop having such a, uh, uh, negative self dialogue to be able to help with fat loss. We're not, we don't talk about that stuff. 
Um, Mm -hmm. and that it's important to find the right professional to help you through, um, and to be a conscious user. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if there is one bit of information, I know there's a lot, this is multifaceted, but, um, if there was one bit of information you could give, um, to females, as far as optimizing their training, um, what would it be as far Mm -hmm. as going yeah. a more natural, taking yeah. a more natural approach to things, I guess. Well, I think that the take though, I guess the, if somebody's going to take one thing away from this podcast, it's going to be to please start tracking, start tracking ovulation. Um, and don't just rely on something, say like the, uh, the Daisy or the, any of those kind of special fertility apps, take charge, go get a notebook, start writing down the variables, um, that w- are involved with not only say a training at, such as your training intensity, your training time, um, also things like around mood, things around sleep, water intake, uh, even just muscular stiffness, uh, then all the way to things like related to your reproductive cycle, such as acne, hair growth, breast tenderness, discharge, um, bowel movements, um, flow, not even just flow duration, but intensity, like record how many tampons you're using. If you're using a, a diva cup, it has an ability to measure. I mean, there's little lines on it. So get to know, get to know yourself and get to know your body. And if you feel that something's not astray, listen and try to understand, don't just jump on the next biggest drug or fad diet or whatever it is, track your data, do it for like, I don't know, two to three months and go from there. Mm -hmm. Give your body time to teach you what's happening and give yourself time to learn, to understand, and then begin to apply. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many women come to me that that want to have a book, like like a how-to book. And I'm like, unfortunately, that just doesn't exist. So my how-to book is to learn yourself, track your data, and then go and learn some basic principles of steroid genesis. So how do we actually create our, the steroids within our body? Learn about the reproductive cycle, about how the actual physiological pathways, and then you're going to be able to start applying and seeing patterns emerge because you've build, been building your own data along the way and you are your best case study. Um, and also for any, say, any coach you're working with in the future or doctor, that is great. That is such a beautiful asset to be able to have and to actually build a knowledge if something has kind of gone astray off of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you should be able to speak freely with your coach about stuff like that too, because mm-hmm. I know um, some females have male coaches and they're like, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to tell them about, talk to them about me being on my cycle. And it's like, no, hello, mm-hmm. that is a big piece yeah. to this puzzle here. Yeah. And so you need to be, have a very good relationship with your coach as far as being able to share these things because mm-hmm. they can't properly help you unless they know the full yeah. story. You can't leave out some sentences. You know? Yeah. And what I'll, what I'll do, um, Connie is, I don't know where you post your, your shows, but I can send mm-hmm. you a link to a, a PDF that's been designed from, um, Dr. Gerilyn Pryor. Um, she is the like OG of women's endocrinology, uh, reproductive disorders, dysfunctions, uh, use of cyclical progesterone. She is, she's a God among us. Um, I've been very, very lucky to be able to, to learn from her. And, um, but she did some really great massive, uh, studies in the early nineties 
built this kind of uh, resource of certain variables to track for menstruation that the apps just ain't doing it. <laughs> they don't That's tell awesome. you to track a lot of these things. So it is, it's old school. It is a, it is a grid. It is a chart, but I tell women, even if you don't want to use this and you want to use, I, like, I mean, a notebook, just utilize those variables and see kind of what she's saying to do and start applying it. Um, yeah. it is the best resource that, that we can have. I find that all too often people want the what to do, but the how is so critical to sustainable health mm-hmm. and um, just longevity. I mean, sustainable longevity is the same thing, but it's just, it's so important to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's great. I will um, get that from you. You have my email mm-hmm. and I will make sure and put it in the show notes so that we can share it with everybody. Um, as far as all of that stuff goes, so, um, anyways, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I've been trying to tell her to shh, but she's not listening to me. It's, it's just it's, her dinner time. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so anyway, is there anything that we missed that's information that would be really important to get out there for people? Um, I honestly, I, it's, there's just so much, um, there is, there, it, there's just, there's just so much information and so much um, misinformation. And I know that I'm going to try harder in 2020 to, um, actually continue to put out information, um, more regularly, um, whether that's through doing stories on social media or through, um, doing podcasts, um, whatever it might be, that is kind of a goal of mine because I can't, I can't help fight the good fight without doing that. And I also feel that it's easy for me to say that there's a lot of really bad information, but Mm -hmm. if I'm not doing something about it a little bit more actively, then, um, that's on me. So, right. And I've really made it my, my mission to try to bring on high quality Mm -hmm. people that are really understanding of the topics that I bring on because I don't need to be sharing information that's not valid. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I want to help I'm... people. That is my purest goal. I mean, even sometimes if it comes to using my mistakes as an example, mm-hmm. I want to be able to help people. And so um, because of that, I need to find, you know, people that are very good at what they do. And so I do appreciate you coming on because you've had a lot going on and <laughs> in the past year, uh, you've been yeah. working on your PhD and you've had a lot of big things happening. So I really, yeah. really appreciate you chatting with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really, truly do appreciate it. And I'm so sorry we were having technical difficulties. Oh, at the that's beginning okay. There. <laughs> my, uh, my lovely life partner came to the rescue. <laughs> so that awesome. Well, I appreciate him, and I thank you so, so much for coming on here. You are most welcome. Well, that about wraps up today's episode with Victoria. Again, I am so thrilled and thankful that I was able to bring her on the show to share with us all of her knowledge. Um, I think that it's a very hard subject to cover because there are so many facets of it and with only an hour and a half it makes things difficult but I'm so glad that we were able to get in there what we could and talk about everything just a little bit. Um, Victoria can be found online at victoriafelkar.com v-i-c-t-o-r-i-a-f-e-l-k-a-r 
Com. I included that web address in the show notes. She also wanted to include a link to the menstrual cycle diaries and I included that as well. So you can just click on the link and it will take you there. As always, I can be found on Instagram at Connie Begani, C-O-N-N-I-E-B-E-G-O-N-N-I-E. And I would love to hear your fear- feedback, thoughts, and opinions. So I really hope today that you enjoyed the show As always, sharing is caring. Share this with your friends, share it with your family, share it to people that you think might benefit them. Um, Also, please go on and subscribe. Subscribers help me get this information out to other people, as well as leave a review. I appreciate reviews. It helps me do a better job and it helps other people find the show. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and until next time.